Welcome to the Empowering Midlife Wellness Podcast, where we talk about everything to do with midlife women's wellness and creating the best second half of life. I'm your host, Dr. Susan Hardwick-Smith. I'm a board-certified gynecologist, certified menopause practitioner and hormone replacement specialist, as well as an ICF-certified life and leadership coach and lots of other things. So if you want to check me out and learn about my private practice and other offerings, my website is www www.drsusan.com. That's D-R-S-U-S-A-N.com. It's my commitment to stay neutral by not accepting advertising dollars from sponsors. So all of these episodes are offered freely. And the best way that you can help this podcast is to share it with your friends, leave a positive review, and also keep in mind this is simultaneously posted in video format on YouTube, where you can find me by searching for Dr. Susan Hardwick-Smith. This week on Empowering Midlife Wellness, I'm delighted to have my partner, Dr. Gracia Wynn-Duncan with me, and we're talking all about the commonly used weight loss drugs. You might have heard of Ozempic or Wagovi, also known as semaglutide, the pros and cons, how they might work for you, the program that we offer in our office, and you will be learning all about that today. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode. I'm so excited to have uh, one of my partners, Dr. Gracia Wynn-Duncan with me. Um, and we have been chatting so much about everything to do with weight loss and specifically the drugs that are commonly used now to help with that. And that's something that you have a lot of expertise and passion. And so I wanted to share some of that because there's so much conversation about drugs like Ozempic and Wagovi and Monjaro and others in that family. So thank you for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. And I do love this topic because uh, our patients have had so much success and wonderful yeah. outcomes with specifically semaglutide in our weight loss management plan. Yeah. So I love to talk about it. It has been really fun. So uh, we have been doing weight management. I don't you know, specifically want to talk about weight because there's so much more to it that we'll get into, not the, just the weight on the scale, but optimizing body composition for longevity and health. Mm -hmm. So this is one tool that can be helpful because being overweight and obese is a very big health crisis, probably one of the biggest ones that we have. So uh, we've had about 18 months of experience with our practice having an organized program so I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about how that works. And yeah, it's been so amazing to see the success stories because there's so many. Yes. So. And, and also in the realm of midlife as well for us perimenopausal and postmenopausal women where our adiposity changes and we develop the midlife middle. Yeah. It's always that <laughs> I same complaint, it, right? Yes. The fat around the middle. And really... The semaglutide has been miraculous in helping us shed the weight there. Yeah, which so is that's been super fun. Really, really cool because um, we have a symptom checker in our office of all the many, many, many things that can feel difficult or uh, perceived negatively around this time in life. And the one that is perceived the most difficult is this weight gain around the middle. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to jump in and say, because I'm sure some people are thinking, what do you two know about that? You're both slim, but it, we both experienced this, right? And yeah, it's a sure. constant battle. So yes, we're both about the same age. We're in our mid fifties and this is not a problem that escapes anybody. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and I think, I mean, we both are very active and we're doing all the right things nutrition wise and exercise wise. Well, I could have been better nutrition wise probably, yeah, but yeah. We, make, um, we make 
we're on the 9010 program. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I did try semaglutide for myself and, and loved it. And like most of my patients actually um, got to where I wanted to be just on the very, very lowest dose. Yeah. Um, the maintenance dose for this medication is 2.4 milligrams a week. And it is a little shot that you give yourself, but you don't even feel it. It's so it's a tiny needle. It's teeny tiny. I just think it's and, so cool that, uh, you have personal experience with this too. And I've said this before, like in our office, I truly don't offer anything that I haven't tried myself. So mm -hmm. I actually tried it myself for a couple of weeks just to experience the side effects. So if you do come and see us, like we, we truly do know, how it feels and how to manage it in a way that is conducive with a healthy life. Because out in the community, it's not always that way. Right. So let's just start with, uh, you've mentioned this uh, drug, semaglutide. So what is it and, and what's the history of it? And just tell us about all about it and how okay. does it work and everything. Well, I'm sure most of y'all have heard about Ozempic and Wagovi, that both those medications are semaglutide. And it was approved in 2017, I believe, for yeah. as, as Ozempic um, to treat type 2 diabetic patients to help um, reduce their insulin resistance, reduce their glucose levels. And it was found that in these patients, they were having uh, great success with weight loss. So then um, Norva Notice, the company that makes this drug, um, decided to restudy it and rebrand it as a weight loss drug in non-diabetics and, and named it Wagovi. So that is actually so, very interesting. Uh, so the FDA, there are many drugs actually that are used for different purposes and they have different names. Uh, so right. the FDA the requires, same yeah, same drug. If It's only FDA approved for a certain indication. And so uh, they went back to the FDA and had it approved for weight loss but it's the exact same drug. That One of the cool things about that is even though Wagovi is relatively new, there's years of experience with Ozempic. And so um, our patients often ask us, I would, well, how do we know it's safe? You know, how much, right. how much experience do we have with it? And I don't know this number, but hundreds of thousands of people have taken it. I mean, so it's quite well understood the way that yes. it works, yeah, yes. which is great. It's not new. Yes. And um, so it has a really good safety profile. Um, there are side effects. So for a lot of people, which are mainly gastrointestinal. So we start off at one tenth the maintenance dose. We start off mm -hmm. at a really low dose um, to help mitigate those side effects and really doing it that way. Um, the side effects are minimal, uh, maybe a little bit of queasiness for a day or two. Um, maybe some uh, heartburn for a day or two that just over-the-counter medicines can help mm -hmm. treat. Um, and I did experience that when I tried it. I had a little bit of heartburn. I just took over-the-counter Tums yeah. and it was fine. I did too. I had a queasiness that was similar to the first weeks of pregnancy. And I will say I didn't have severe morning sickness, not vomiting or anything, but just that sort of little bit of queasy feeling manageable, didn't have to take any medication. So that would be our typical patient. Yes, a few side effects, but you're prepared for them. They're manageable. Right. Now, we've had a few who've had more severe side effects, but I would say, you know, less than 5% patients need a yes. prescription, nausea medicine, or something to deal with constipation. So yes, it happens. Kind of, this is why it's important to be managed closely, right? You don't want to be taking this right. stuff at home without medical supervision. Right. 
And it and part of why those are the side effects is how the medication works. Um, it works several different ways. And one is by making you feel fuller faster and longer by um, slowing the your stomach, the movement of food through your stomach and intestines. Um, it also works centrally to help um, reduce your appetite. So you're just really not that hungry to begin with. And actually in that regard, I don't know if this is getting too much into it, but there are um, several studies going on um, how promising this medicine could be for addiction medicine in the I think future. That's, uh, that's such an important point, actually. I'm really glad yes. you brought that up because many of our patients, I'm sure you're, you hear the same thing. You know, one could say, okay, it's primarily an appetite suppressant, right? So, well, you could just eat less. But it's not that easy because these cravings, especially when we're perimenopausal with hormone swings, mm -hmm. I experienced that. I know a lot of you know what this is like. I wanted to eat stuff that wasn't even food sometimes. I'd be looking at like, oh, what would that taste like? <laughs> this happens when we're pregnant sometimes as well. I mean, this mm -hmm. craving to eat, it's not so simple as just eat less. So as you mentioned, working on that part of our brain that's responsible for cravings. And so, yeah, amazing for things like addiction. Mm -hmm. I love potato chips. So this is my, if I open a bag, it's just going to be gone. And when I was uh, using semaglutide, I would eat a chip and be like, eh, it doesn't, I don't even really like it. I just, mm -hmm. I didn't have that desire. It was so weird. Well, I loved that effect for me with regard to Prosecco because and, oh, and alcohol. That was, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I it totally took away my desire. And, um, and so I think that's where a lot of my initial weight loss came from was just avoiding wine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which and a lot of us, that's a primary a, you know, primary source of nutrition is wine, or it certainly is a big source of calories and sugar. So yeah, how fascinating in the future that this can be used for smoking cessation or alcoholism yes. or heroin addiction or sex addiction or anything that is a craving that is very difficult to just say no to. Yeah, and at, at Memorial Hermann, they're doing a study with folks for smoking cessation with mm -hmm. the semaglutide one to take away the craving for nicotine and then two to combat the weight gain that usually happens with smoking yeah. cessation. So I'm really curious to see how those results Pretty turn amazing. out. And yeah. then uh, with regard to studies ongoing, there was one that was just published in the New England Journal of Medicine this month showing a huge benefit in terms of cardiovascular disease with mm -hmm. semaglutide. And of course, losing weight is going to decrease your risk for cardiovascular disease. But this benefit that they found, I think, indicates that there's more than just weight mm -hmm. loss that effect and an effect for the um cardiovascular protection. So yeah, it is, and this is, I'm quite sure over the next few years, there's going to be so much more looking into this because that, that study did open up this question of, well, hey, if it reduces risk of heart disease, hey, check, we'll take it because that is the number one killer of men and women, seven times more likely to kill us than breast cancer, for example. So anything that reduces cardiovascular disease, that's great. Maybe it's primarily the weight loss, but there may be a separate reason and mm -hmm. it really... I kind of think who cares, you know, if it reduces it, that's great, but right. amazing that it could have these other benefits. So you mentioned it slows down the rate at which your stomach empties. So I experienced that feeling. So normally we're eating and then at the same time, the stomach is simultaneously draining into the uh, small intestine, but that doesn't happen as quickly. So our stomach's quite small. It's only the size of your fist. So you, I would eat a few bites and feel 
oh, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Now, the downside of that is that, you know, at Thanksgiving when you eat too much and you're like, it can feel a bit like that. I go really full and then some of it might regurgitate up into the esophagus so we can get some heartburn. Mm-hmm. Now, I knew this as, as, of course, we do as doctors, but I was it was very interesting to experience it. Like, yeah, my food from breakfast is still sitting there in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. So we do we do have a plan to help in terms of just eating smaller portions mm. throughout the day. And another aspect is increasing your protein intake to make sure that your weight loss is not coming from muscle mass loss yeah. because that that is a risk with this medication. But by continuing a good weightlifting program and exercise and making sure you get at least 100 grams of protein a day, that is very much mitigated. Yeah, and I think that that those two points, making sure you eat protein first, because if you're trying to get 100 grams of protein a day, which is critical so that you don't lose muscle, mm-hmm. you won't have room to eat anything else. So uh, making sure you're getting plenty of fiber. It might Maybe, like in my case, uh, it came in the form of a supplement because I was too full to eat a big, huge salad. Right. Uh, but protein's critical in the exercise, as uh, Dr. Gracious said, because... What has happened in the community that's that's uh, developed some criticism about these drugs? And you know, we see people starving, right, mm-hmm. and they're not being managed right appropriately. Yes, and and really, the loss of muscle mass is is the the biggest risk in that regard. And and I think that happens a lot with a lot of these patients that are just going to med spas and you yeah, because they could just not eat. Like, yeah. Um, in fact, you've probably had this happen too. I've had patients come in and they were getting. Uh, Ozempic from somewhere, and they had lost a lot of weight, but uh, really were not in good health. And muscle mass was very low. They were experiencing weakness, uh, increasing their risk of a bunch of other diseases. So, right. you know, weight on the scale is just doesn't one correlate factor, right? right? To the best health, exactly. <laughs> yes, you can end up being what we call skinny fat, where you might weigh your goal weight, but you've actually elevated your risk of a lot of other diseases, right. like osteoporosis, and we know. So many things are benefited by having adequate muscle mass, even Alzheimer's disease and lots of other things. And that is a good point, too, for why our, I think our program is, is so wonderful, is the um, in-body scale that, that we have where it, de- it gives you a breakdown of your body composition, um, your body fat percentage, your muscle mass. So we can mm-hmm. really keep good tabs on the direction that you're going. Yes. And you can get something from Amazon that's uh, pretty good as far as a body composition machine. Whatever you do, though, if you're using one of these drugs, that is a really good point. Like it's critical not just to watch your weight going down, but to make sure that you're not losing muscle and that the great majority of what you're losing is body fat. So what we've seen in our patients, because we, we see you every two weeks, and if your muscle's dropping, we're going to be all over you or yeah. maybe even stop giving it to you uh, because you, you can mitigate that. Or even, you know, we've had patients lose 40 or 50 pounds without losing any muscle just by following mm-hmm. this very simple rule, eating protein and lifting weights. And really the majority of my patients have lost the weight that they wanted to lose at just low doses of the medication without even getting to that maintenance dose that I was alluding to in the very beginning. Um, it's 2.4 milligrams a week. We started at 10th bat, 0.25 milligrams a week, and then gradually increase it. Um, and so I, I mean, I would say one in 10 have, mm-hmm. have I seen have to get up to the maintenance dose before they 
start losing the weight that they want. Yeah, that's um, really how, they, how you're experiencing. Yeah, I think at the you know maybe a few patients need more. I mean, certainly if you're diabetic or very insulin resistant, you might need more. But I agree with you. I think it's not a more is better thing. A lot of people, right. you know, naturally, if something's working, like oh, should I take more? If your appetite is suppressed and you're losing weight, your dose is fine. Like taking more right. is not going to make it work more quickly. It'll just introduce more side effects. So I think that's really important. Not like anything in medicine, I just more isn't better. Right. There's a there's a perfect sort of dose, and then too little or too much is going to result in problems. So, but you're not going to be able to do that very easily at home by yourself. You need someone to watch you every couple of weeks to help figure out what's the best dose for you. Mm-hmm. And then to cheer you on, like we're so excited when you come in mm-hmm. and we, you know, we're your biggest cheerleaders and maybe you have a couple of weeks where it wasn't your best and we're like, okay, we're going to get back on. And, mm-hmm. and so it's just really great to have that accountability right. part. The accountability and the community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the encouragement and, and helping you along if you do meet some of these little roadblocks, but, um, but yeah, it's super fun to, and then when you lose that, middle and when you lose the weight and achieve your goal how much better you feel overall and really every Mm -hmm. aspect of your life and then that just keeps you going on the right path so that when you do come off the medication you have those lifestyle modifications in place and you continue to follow them so you can maintain yeah and your health's improved i mean this thing that we all get including us uh, as we get older is something happens to i can't think of a patient that it didn't happen to where we gained fat around the middle. And if we looked at the body composition, we see our body fat percentage going up and our muscle mass going down. And we could say this is just a normal function of aging in a way it is. But even if you don't have diabetes, having this uh, adiposity around the middle Middle. dramatically Mm -hmm. increases our risk of diabetes or pre-diabetic conditions like Mm -hmm. insulin resistance. And we know all the bad stuff that happens as a result of that. So, yeah, you look better in your clothes if that's your goal. But more importantly, you've reduced your risk of a bunch of different diseases. Right. Like maybe even heart disease that you mentioned. So, so exciting for so many reasons. Yes, definitely a great tool that we have now to help optimize your health and yeah, feel better in every aspect. So so we've talked about the, you know, the most commonly talked about drug, which is semaglutide, also known as Ozempic or Wagovi. Those are brand names. Now, people often say, and this is true, well, aren't they just like incredibly expensive? And so there's yes and sometimes not so much, right? Because right. there's different ways to get them. So the the brand names, the Ozempic and Wagovi, yes, are about $1,300 a month, I think, mm. out of pocket if insurance doesn't cover them. And a lot of insurances do not cover them. And if we do go through all that process and you're able to get coverage, most of the pharmacies currently don't have it in stock. Yeah, it's, and it's a taking, major back order. Yes, yeah. weeks and weeks and a couple months or more in some places to be able to get it. So we actually get the semaglutide from a compounding pharmacy that we've been using for many years mm-hmm. now. Um, and so it's much less expensive. Yeah, it's an interesting and really important um, conversation about compounding pharmacies. And most of you know, these are generally pretty small, although ours is quite large, pharmacies that uh, make this themselves. So these are pharmacists that are uh, making this compound themselves. 
It's the exact same compound and an obvious criticism as well, that it's not FDA approved, so therefore it's not regulated and so on. You know, really good compounding pharmacies are producing the same exact thing. So mm -hmm. the important thing is that you have a compounding pharmacy that you trust. And so ours, uh, I am so um, suspicious and such a stickler. I put these people through the ringer. How do you test it? Do you do third-party testing, batch testing? Mm -hmm. How do you know what it is? Actually, the um, FDA requires that drugs are within a 5% range of error in order to be uh, sold to market. And many of these compounding pharmacies have even more stringent uh, testing methods. So just to say, yes, it's really important that you have a good compounding pharmacy. And just like any drug, there are instances where uh, drugs have been recalled and so on. But having FDA approval doesn't prevent that from happening. It's just a very powerful way of regulating things to keep them mm -hmm. safe. So we do want to make sure that we're giving you a very safe product. Now, right now, this is just a little bit of politics because there's always politics in this stuff. Right now, because um, Ozempic and Wagovi are in, the, in a national shortage, uh, compounding pharmacies are being allowed to make it. Uh, now, there is a thing about a patent infringement argument. Uh, so this is all just interesting because we'll see how it plays out. Currently, those are patented drugs, so mm -hmm. therefore, you wouldn't be able to make them. Um, however, because of this national shortage, that's being allowed. We don't know how long that's going to go right. on. Because a lot of compounding pharmacies have stopped producing it because mm -hmm. of fear of litigation from the pharmaceutical company. Yeah, so um, patent, you know, patent infringement from the drug big pharma company, you know, you don't want to uh, be in that situation. But currently, uh, the law states that if a drug is uh, under a national shortage, which these are currently, that it is allowed to be produced by mm -hmm. a compounding pharmacy. So right now, fingers crossed, it'll last a while. Uh, we're able to get it for a much lower price. Very worst case scenario, we'll have to go with the brand name again. It'll be more expensive, but it still works exactly the same. Yeah. But we always want to save you money because yes. that's a lot of money. Yes. Um, you know, in one respect, how much would you pay, you know, to be able to finally break the back of this weight uh, gain issue? Um, but yes, if it's at twelve or fifteen hundred dollars a month, that's just out of the question for most people. Right. Yeah. Right. Which is it's really exorbitant. So, yeah. and which is so ironic because of all the dollars that would be saved in the future for all the um, all the health benefits that so each individual is going to experience. Yeah. That, like big pharmaceutical companies, and you know, understandably, there's billions of dollars that goes into research and production of these drugs, and so thank goodness there are people that do them. But um, at the same time, you know, having weight loss drugs only available to the wealthy is really yeah. a whole nother topic. Right. But right now, right. We, that, that's a question many people ask. Well, how are you able to get it uh, when it's under patent? And that's how, because it's currently so under a national shortage. Mm -hmm. And then there's, uh, because these are such big money makers, let's face it, drug companies are you know very smart and love to make money. Um, other drugs have been produced that are in the same family. So these are called, mm -hmm. what's the cl classification? Well, the semaglutide and Zimbiglugovi are GLP-1 agonists, um, glucagon-like peptide agonists. And there's another class, Manjuro, that you've probably heard about, which is also GLP-1, but is also a GIP, mm -hmm. a combination drug. And um, currently it's FDA approval is for diabetic patients, but it's getting FDA approval for non-diabetic patients for weight loss. And it works even more efficiently mm -hmm. than the semaglutide. So it is interesting. There's a, at least one, maybe more you might know of, head-to-head uh, -head studies with um, 
uh, Manjaro and Ozempic Bogovi. Mm-hmm. And Manjaro does seem to work better for weight loss. Right. Uh, now, we don't have a resource uh, currently where we can get it uh, for a reasonable price. I'm not personally worried that it's not FDA approved for weight loss because we know that it will be. So I don't think we have to worry about that. And then there's other, um, a lot of other drugs in, in the same general bucket that are being developed. Um, for example, no, some people don't like giving themselves a weekly injection. Mm-hmm. So taking something by mouth. And now, semaglutide does come in an oral tablet as well. Yeah, and it doesn't um, work as well because right. uh, these are peptides. They're short-chain proteins and generally not... Um, they, they're not, they don't make it past the stomach as well. So uh, that's a common question. Why are they generally given by injection? And that's because they don't uh, tolerate stomach acid particularly well. So enteric-coated uh, mm-hmm. substances and other things are being developed. But a once-a-week injection, like you said, it's it, really yeah. pretty straightforward. Yeah. The tiniest needle, anyone know about a Botox needle? It's about that size. Uh, but doing it into a fatty part of your abdomen is not nearly as uncomfortable as a sensitive right. part of your face. right. Yeah, you really don't feel it. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, so, so this is a you know I really feel like this is such an amazing time that we've entered into in this past uh, five or ten years with especially this past couple of years with widespread use of these drugs. It really is changing the whole business of weight loss, isn't it? Yes, yes. And um, and recently, semaglutide was FDA approved for children as well. Mm-hmm. That that is. Um, that that happened this year, I think in the spring. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be revolutionary for bariatric medicine. I think Mm -hmm. it'll, um, surgery is going to go by the wayside for, for these patients. Well, that is interesting. Um, bariatric surgery certainly has a place. However, it only deals with that one part of the issue that it, do, it does make your stomach smaller. So in a certain way, these drugs have the same effect, mm-hmm. but bariatric surgery doesn't change that craving aspect. So right. um, many of us know, and I certainly have had many patients who have been able to eat through uh, bariatric surgery right. or two. I actually have a patient who uh, made a video with me. I'll see if I can find a link to it uh, a year or so ago, who had had two bariatric surgeries that had failed because of her cravings that she couldn't, oh, gosh. Yeah. couldn't manage. She was a type 2 diabetic, had lipids that were just out the wazoo, really looking at the last decade of her life, being not so healthy, um, had lost over 50 pounds. Now, no more cravings. Diabetes is gone. I mean, completely different than the surgery because it got rid of the cravings. Yeah. And so I think and that the food chatter is what I, they, some of my yeah. patients have described it as. I've seen right. that in the literature. Yeah, just not thinking food about chatter food. On your brain. That's such an interesting term. Yeah, I, I know that well, just constantly thinking about what am I going to eat next? And, you know, how, how many calories is it? And just always thinking about food. And then I do think, I mean, there, there are studies ongoing looking at the other ways that it works as well. Because I think, at least for me personally, I... I think I lost more weight than could be attributable just to the caloric restriction. Mm -hmm. And there are studies showing that it helps change our yellow fat to brown fat, which is baby fat, which is the thermogenic fat, which basically increases our metabolism. So in addition to decreasing our appetite, helping us feel fuller, longer, sooner, um, decreasing that food chatter, taking away the cravings, I think it also independently increases our metabolism. Um, so yeah, really a lot of great things. I've, I've <laughs> noticed that too in patients who are losing 
more weight than you would expect when you see what they're eating. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, of course, food is the biggest part of it, uh, certainly um, caloric restriction, but we don't count calories. It, I think it's more important, as uh, Dr. Gracia said, to count how much protein you're getting. Yes. If you're getting 100 grams of protein, and of course you need fiber and some other supplements to make sure you're not deficient in anything, you're getting plenty of calories. Mm -hmm. uh, right. And, and But that is likely going to be a significant caloric restriction from your previous diet. So that sounds great, right? So, so maybe now you've, let's just say you're one of our maybe average patients who wants to lose, say, 30 pounds of fat while maintaining or even building muscle. And uh, that's not an unusual thing to achieve in 12 weeks. We frequently see patients lose up to 10 pounds of fat in a month safely. Mm -hmm. So say three or four months to lose your 30 pounds in this example. And then what? So now I'm at my goal weight. I feel great. Uh, people always ask, well, can I get off it? Do I have to be on it forever? What's your experience with that? Well, some people are on it at this point indefinitely, weaning weaning down to maybe just doing a tiny dose every two weeks. Or mm -hmm. um, at that point, I think maybe it's just placebo, more mental crutch. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but really the main thing is once you've successfully achieved your goal weight, um, if you maintain those lifestyle modifications that you employed to, to achieve that, you continue it. Right. Um, your appetite does come back though, when you come off of the medication. So, um, you do need to be aware of that and, um, but just really stick with your routine, your new routine that you're on. And, um, in the studies, at least they've shown that the majority of the weight loss is maintained two years out. Yeah. So of course, if you go back to eating donuts and drinking Prosecco every day and potato chips, uh, you'll gain weight back. But if you continue eating your hundred or more grams of protein, continue lifting weights. If you looked at body composition, actually, this is quite interesting. And this is pretty simple math. If you lost 30 pounds of fat and kept your muscle mass even the same, and we're even suggesting you could increase it. Yes. Now your metabolism's higher than it was when you started. Yeah. So it's kind of amazing. So at that point, your your body's really working optimally and, and you will keep the weight off. Different to that other patient we mentioned who's lost 30 pounds, but half of it was muscle. Now her metabolism's lower Less. than when she started. And that's why some people yo-yo. I mean, they've lost a lot of muscle. They're not exercising and it just comes right back. I was just, sometimes this just drives me crazy. I'm sure this happens to you. I just happened to have an ad pop up on my phone this morning about a local weight loss program that's offering this drug and no exercise, eat whatever you want to. Oh, I'm gosh. just like, oh, like, no, if, you, we, you, oh. if anyone tells you that, like, that's not, uh, that's going not to viable. Be, no, that's, not going to work long term. No. It has to be done in conjunction with exercise so that we maintain muscle and really important to control what you're eating. Now, you don't have to be hungry. In fact, our patients more often are like, I, I can't get enough eat any more protein. Right, right. <laughs> and we're like, you have to drink your water and eat your protein. Like tell and sometimes, fiber. yes, and fiber helps with constipation. And you're probably not going to be eating large volumes of vegetables because you're just full. Mm -hmm. I've said to many patients, it's like with your kids and eating medicine, medicine, just hold your nose and <laughs> stuff it in. Like you've got to get it in, right? So any program that says you don't have to exercise and you can eat whatever you want. 
I would yeah. probably shy away from that. Now you might lose weight. Um, I met a patient who lost a lot of weight and all she ate for three months was wine. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and she did lose weight. Oh. Uh, but her liver enzymes were terrible. Her muscle mass was in the toilet. She'd increased her risk of about a hundred other diseases that she yes. could fit in her skinny jeans. I mean, that, uh, we have to think about what the goal is here. Now, one is to feel good about the way you look, of course, and that's uh, wonderful. But really, we want to improve your health. And weight loss improves your health. Weight loss done the right way. Right, but right. not if you lose all your muscle <laughs> and if your primary um, food group is wine. So... <laughs> But I mean, no judgment. Wine, right. chips, and donuts were yeah. on my repertoire. Uh, oh, sure. Previously, we, so. <laughs> we we certainly have done all that too. I think during COVID, wine was probably fifty percent of my calorie intake. Um, but certainly, you know, we're recognizing that that's not the healthiest approach. And so, um, I think, it, you know, a little bit of joking about it, just to uh, know that we empathize. Yes, we understand yes. we're women too, and we've had this happen. But we can help you to find a healthier way to achieve both goals. Look the way you want and be healthier so you can live longer and reduce the risk of a bunch of diseases. Right. So this almost sounds too good to be true. And when I first heard about it, that was my first thought. Yeah, we've talked about some of the side effects. And then people read there are occasional even more significant side effects. I've actually never seen this in our practice. Things like... Nor have I paralysis of the intestine or like mm. such severe nausea that you have to quit or pancreatitis, inflammation of the pancreas yeah. or gallbladder. But yes, very I, rare. Right. And generally on much mm. higher doses and often in patients who are very significant diabetics and mm -hmm. things like that. So uh, yes, those, those things can happen. They've been reported, but I, I would argue that if you're being watched very closely every two weeks, we would nip that in the bed way before it got right. to be a problem. Right. Yeah. So that's extremely rare. Watching very closely. And then um, there are very small groups of people who shouldn't take these drugs. I mean, for the average patient, they're very safe, whether you're diabetic or not. Uh, just a few patients that, so when you come in, we do, of course, a full intake and look at your history and blood work and very carefully look at your health history. And the couple country, little things. Yeah, the contraindications are also very rare. Yeah. Um, but they include if you've had a personal history of medullary thyroid cancer. Again, that's I've, a very rare. I've never <laughs> a very seen rare that. thyroid yeah. cancer. Right. Um, or family history of um, multiple endocrine neoplasia, MEN, we call it for short. And again, that is not very common, but it's uh a condition where multiple family members have these endocrine uh, cancers. So, so we, ask, the, we, we ask everyone these questions, and I, I right. can't tell you when I've ever heard that being answered in the affirmative. So, yeah, we ask those, but very, very rare for more than 99% of patients. Um, it would be safe to try if you wanted to. And, of course, if you're insulin-dependent diabetic, a type 1 diabetic, um, then this is not, not for, for you. you. Right. And that patient is very unlikely to have an obesity problem in the first place. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so speaking of that, uh, do you have to meet the criteria for obesity or uh, can anybody do this? Like, what do you think about the patient, frankly, like me, who just wanted to lose seven to 10 pounds? So the medical indications include someone with a body mass index above 30 or a body mass index above 27 
with a comorbidity, which would include hypertension or high cholesterol or prediabetes, something like that. Um, we do, however, use it um, for those of us mm-hmm. in the menopause and perimenopause that are struggling with that menopause middle that we talked about earlier um, with great success. Yeah. So, well, and I think this goes back to sort of, you know, rules are great. And so that, uh, frankly, they're developed usually by insurance companies to say, that we will pay for it perhaps in a patient who meets that criteria for obesity or if they're type 2 diabetic. So this might be a question more regarding insurance coverage. Right. But really, True. most of our patients don't have a body mass index. That's just, and again, that's just height and weight. So we could talk about that for a second. Like BMI yes. doesn't show everything. You could be a bodybuilder and have a body mass index that's quite high because you've got tons of muscle. Or you could be an overweight patient who has a lower BMI because you have low muscle. So I think that those those rules are missing right. some of the That's such a great, health thing. Such a great point. And really, the I think BMI in terms of optimizing our health is kind of going by the wayside. Mm-hmm. And really, what is a better measurement is our waist to hip ratio. Yeah. And again, like we keep talking about that menopause middle. Right. You know that that's where it's an issue, and that's where this medication and, and treatment plan can can really benefit us. Yeah, so, and a little bit more about that, yeah, you can do that with a tape measure, measure your waist and hip, and obviously the goal is that our hips are, that that ratio is 0.8. 0.8 yeah. uh-huh, for women. Um, or if you have the opportunity, we've talked recently about using uh, like a DEXA scan, for example, to actually look and see what your visceral fat is. So mm-hmm. yeah, just height and weight misses a lot of things. Yes. So if yes. we're strictly following those medical indications, I think that really is more for insurance coverage. You're right. It's not suggesting that if you don't meet that criteria, that it's not you safe do for it. you yeah. to take. Yeah. So I think that's a little bit of a caveat. Um, but yeah, maybe you'll get insurance coverage if you're truly obese using those very old fashioned a diagnostic right. criteria. Right. Right. But we have a lot of patients who have a relatively low BMI and a very high body fat percentage. Mm-hmm. And those are equally unhealthy. Right. Uh, right. So, so it's not quite that simple. It's just height and weight. So if, um, you know, if you're normal weight and your body composition is great and you have an eating disorder and you want to be unusually thin, yeah, we might just might talk to you a little bit about yeah. that and get some uh, different perspectives. But you know, generally for most of our patients, if that's a desire that you have, just like anything, we don't make decisions for you. We tell you the pros and cons and ultimately let you make your own decision. Right. With just a few patients that we would certainly recommend not taking it, but agree. Honestly, very few. Right, fall into that category. Right. Yeah. So, so um, well, I'm so delighted to talk about this. And I'm sure there's going to be so much more information about this particular group of drugs, even in the next year or two, because things yes. are changing so quickly. Yes. But, and so many ongoing studies right now with more information coming out. Right. So we're learning about this all the time. Um, we never sit here and say, we know everything. We're just presenting what we know right now. And I'm very excited to learn more. However, as you mentioned, the experience with semaglutide in the form of Ozempic has been many, many years and hundreds of thousands of patients. So certainly right. we can say with some confidence uh, that it's safe for most patients and very effective. So now you can get this a lot of places. So if you're watching this, you could go online and you could get this just about anywhere. Why would it be a good idea for them to get it from you? Well, I, I think going to 
a reputable physician practice mm-hmm. is definitely the way to go. Yeah. And um, and I think that the program that we have at Complete Midlife Wellness Center is very well structured. And like you talked about before, the accountability and the encouragement and the community, um, the guidance, and then the fact that you will be followed very carefully and we will be following your blood work as well, um, I think are all big positives, big pros for For sure. And then I'll just add to that too. Uh, You mentioned blood work. Often there are other things going on that are fighting against weight loss. For example, if your thyroid is low or if you're hormonally deficient from menopause in many ways, or if you're not sleeping because of all the reasons that happen with hormonal change. So we're able to co-manage all of that at the same time. Right. It's really hard to lose weight, even with semaglutide, if you're not sleeping and your hormones are out of whack and your thyroid is low or you have other nutritional deficiencies. Exactly. So, so yeah, addressing you holistically is mm-hmm. definitely um, what needs to be done initially, right, yeah. right at the onset. Amazing. So um, you can visit us at either of our locations. And if you'd like to meet with Dr. Gracia, she's at our Tanglewood location on San Felipe. We'll put a link to that below. Uh, so what would they expect if they come in to see you for an initial visit? How does how does this whole thing work? Well, we, uh, we meet initially and go over your full medical history, um, surgical history, family history, um, your uh, workout, regimen, mm-hmm. your your nutrition, um, like we talked about the blood work. Um, and then we go over the program, the plan, if you decide that that's how you want to proceed. Um, we teach you how to do the injection, and then you will have the medication at your home, and you will be giving it to yourself and um, keeping a record and a log, and then coming into the office every two weeks. Yeah, so it's um, it's really worked well. So if you're interested in doing this, I would highly encourage you to give it a try. We've been so excited to see so yeah, many patients fun. succeed. Yeah, to see everybody so happy. I mean, from the extreme, like the lady I told you about who had basically given up after two bariatric surgeries and had diabetes and high blood pressure and heart disease and now as well. I mean, that's amazing. To, you know, maybe a more average person like you and I who wanted to lose 10, 15 pounds because of that midlife weight gain anywhere in between yes so we're so delightful to have you here again thank you um i can't wait to talk to you more about this and uh, i think more and more fun things great things are going to be coming out about it yeah and then when there's something new you know we'll be doing it so we'll keep (laughs) you posted about that too so if you like this episode don't forget to subscribe share it with your friends and i can't wait to see you next week Mm -hmm.